0: To remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Huh? I'm scared as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore!
1: Pay no
0: attention to that man behind the curtain! Did you tell me you built a time
2: machine? Out a toy?
3: Oh, sounds like somebody's got a case of the mundus. <laughs>
1: Hello there,
0: children.
1: Hey, kids. People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late.
0: And now, the host of the stupid cancer show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Staten. Nothing
1: there's anything wrong with us.
3: Because he has a lot of chit
1: spots. <laughs> oh
3: yeah.
4: Monday, June ninth, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your co-host Matthew Zachary, a proud eighteen-year young adult survivor of brain cancer,
3: and I'm your co-host Annie Goodman young adult breast cancer fighter and we're your hosts for the stupid cancer show
4: it is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year so got cancer under 40 sucks huh time to get busy with
1: me folks because the stupid cancer show is chasing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on stupidcancershow.org.
3: On tonight's show, ABC Families Chasing Life, we are profiling ABC Families Chasing Life, a new series that follows 20 something April. Played by Italia Ricci, a smart and quick-witted aspiring journalist diagnosed with cancer in the prime of her life. Join us as we welcome executive producers Susanna Fogel and Joni Lefkowitz. Survivor Spotlight on Jill Bre- Breidenberg. And I'm Maureen Sweet, manager of programs and operations
0: here at Cupid Cancer, and I will be live-tweeting throughout the broadcast at Deck. So send me your questions and feedback at any time using hashtag FC Radio.
4: Good evening, everyone.
1: What up? Good evening.
4: A very exciting show tonight. What's going on? Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, Mallory Rivera, Employee Number Six, Second Radio Show.
3: Woohoo! <laughs>
4: and Annie, welcome back.
3: Thank you. Your
4: undisclosed bunker location.
3: Well, I was at a I was at a fundraiser last Monday for the Val Skinner Foundation. She had a golf tournament. Got to meet some pretty cool LPGA pros. That's Female professional golfers. My yes. brothers both played. Tiger Woods' niece was there. It was pretty cool. Saw the number one golfer in the world currently was there. I can't remember her name because I don't really watch that much.
1: I thought they said your brothers played for the Women's League. No, no.
3: That <laughs> would uh, be
1: an unfair advantage. No.
3: Um, so it was pretty cool. They raised half a million dollars for to support young women, young women with breast cancer. So that's always, you know. Half a million? Half a million bucks.
4: With one golf tournament.
3: One golf tournament. That's insane. Yeah, so they work very hard on every year, but uh, it was very fun. I got to speak. I was honored as one of the heroes. Got to tell my story, tell some, make some jokes about having metastatic breast cancer. It's and, always funny. You know what? I don't. I like to make jokes because I don't like people being like, like having to look at a room of people in tears. Right. And it's like I don't want people to feel bad for me. I want people to, you know. To know them still like me, right? Even if I have breast cancer, you know, breast cancer climbing in weird places in my body, but whatever. It's your That's friend. Cool.
1: You are not on display. Yes. Exactly.
3: Yeah, and I said I was like, I don't want people to feel bad for me. I want people to know that I'm still living my life, and I'm not like sitting in my apartment wallowing. I do that sometimes, but not all the time. So anyway. It's like Wa-
1: it's like Joaquin's. Maglin. <laughs> What? What? I'm still here.
4: Oh, right. That's exactly.
1: Well, a special shout-out tonight to
4: any of our new listeners, thanks to ABC Family, uh, who have been uh, furiously promoting and tweeting the uh, show tonight. So welcome aboard. The first couple of minutes of the show, we do some banter around what's going on in the news. We have our first segment coming up at uh, around 8.10. and we do some other news. And then for the uh, second half of the show, 8.30 to 9, we will have uh, Joni Lefkowitz and Susanna Fogel from the executive producers of ABC's Tasting Life, which debuts uh, season mm-hmm. for, series premiere tomorrow at uh, eight seven Central on ABC Family.
3: Very good stuff. Very cool. Yes. So why don't you tell us about Canada?
4: Yeah, well, there's a group in Canada called Young Adult Cancer Canada. They were founded in 2000 by Jeff Eaton, who was a two-time testicular cancer survivor, uh, who was on the show I think last week, right? And um,
1: mm-hmm.
4: he uh, originally founded it as Real Time Cancer. They rebranded it Young Adult Cancer Canada. There for Apparently, search engine optimization reasons,
1: um, which
4: is good, because if you type young adult cancer, they're like the first thing that comes up in Canada. And um, uh, I went to their annual survivor conference, which is basically they do retreats, like First Descent, and they have a conference that unites all the alumni of the retreats once a year. So there were about 200 people there, very exciting. they, They all know about stupid cancer, and it was really nice to meet them in person. A lot of them listen to the show. They're listening tonight because they uh, came off the heels of some really exciting commentary and some keynote speakers and some sessions. It was was really nice. Um, So, Kuz, and thanks to Jeff, uh, uh, Young Adult Cancer Canada, their website is youngadultcancer.ca. So if you are in Canada listening, they're a great resource for you, and we look forward to doing more development work with them and supporting that great neighbor to the north. Very cool. Yes. And uh, we always like to share good news here on the Stupid Cancer Show because most news is kind of crappy and horrible. Um, One of our own, Mr. Paul Berman, who is a former guest on the radio show, young adult cancer survivor himself, uh, went through a whole bunch of crap in his life, and he just got married.
1: Very happy for him. We like
4: success stories.
1: It's an excellent event.
4: Yes, and uh, you guys went to the wedding Maureen and Kenny.
0: Yes, Kenny and I went in your car. Thank you for yeah, letting you. us use it. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, we had a very good time. It was, for me, my first Jewish wedding. So I got to see um Thank you. Maybe. I don't remember what that means. Um, so, yeah, there was some of that. There was um there was a big tent they got married under. Yeah. It's called a hopa? A hopa. Yeah. Well, All
3: four
1: sides were open. Yeah. Like their marriage. Like their marriage. Yeah. No. What? <laughs> wait, wait Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. So as soon as he said that, I was like, I was like did he just say that? But then he followed up with, you know, there's no secrets in the marriage. Right.
3: right. So, open, so I was right.
1: like, all
4: right. Did
3: they do this seven times? He went around her seven times? No. no. They
4: did the
0: seven blessings. They recited those. Yeah, he's okay. supposed to
4: walk around her her in
0: time. Yeah, oh, during the blessing. thing. Yeah. It was a little warm out. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> they broke a glass. I got to see my first horror. I was very, very excited for Okay, hora. We could lift yeah. you in a chair later if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Hold me.
3: No, I've never seen a horror. Live on the radio. i are going to lift me in a chair. <laughs> I've had a bat mitzvah so I've, I've, I've been horrid.
0: Can I have a button to that? Can we schedule that? For we me? can do that. Yeah. I would like to have a four-hour. We'd
4: have to convert you, but that's fine.
0: That's fine. I'm I'm totally down with that.
4: Let me move to my neighborhood. I'll so. convert there. <laughs> oh, my father. My father in the chat room has uh reconfirmed that the bride walks around the groom, not the groom walks around uh, the bride. Maybe oh, the, train, the
1: train was too long. I
4: yeah. haven't
3: I haven't been to enough Jewish weddings where they do the full service to know. Uh, I see. I see. But yeah.
1: Perhaps this was the abridged version. Yeah, but we digress.
0: Yeah, we yeah. wanted to get to the party. Yes. Well, that's I'm glad. Shoes, so yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> like success
4: stories. We yeah. love the fact that this poor guy was uh, given a hard uh, hard diagnosis a couple of years ago, and he bounced mm-hmm. back, and he's here, he got married. We're thrilled. We love when we have good news to share with our listeners on the show here. Speaking of great success, we had 180,000 likes on Facebook.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. Another
4: milestone for the young adult cancer movement. Thank you to all of us. If you do not currently like us on Facebook, it is Facebook.com slash Stupid cancer! You can help us get to two hundred thousand, uh, hopefully by Labor Day. That's our goal.
3: And then we give a party again. Another party. Yeah.
1: Yes. Isn't it going to be weird and crazy if we, if and when we hit a million? Um, yeah.
3: I think it's when, not if. Uh,
4: it is. It is a question it, of when. Yes. Yeah. It's just unless like the Earth explodes thanks to an asteroid or something like that. But we'll, we'll definitely hit it. Yes. Um, and just to wrap up the top of the news here, I. I the coincidence of having Fault in Our Stars and ABC Families Chasing Life hit the same week, Mm -hmm. all the serendipity and all the universe hitting up this, of all the times for things to come together, these two incredible pop culture successes for the young adult cancer world are hitting within a day of each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been, um, hopefully we'll get, get the Fault in Our Stars folks on the show uh, this fall coming up, we were unable to acquire them in a certain, uh, we, we worked our ass off to try to get them, it didn't work out, but we've been posting on our uh, on social about what people think of the movie and what cancer survivors think of the movie, and there's been a lot of op-eds from doctors mm-hmm. who are claiming the movie is inaccurate, but it's fiction. It's based on a book, which is based on a story. So mm-hmm. you're getting like that, that copy of a copy of a copy of a cassette mm-hmm. tape, but at the end of the day, it's... It's good for the young adult movement.
3: Well, okay, so I read one off. So I read the book like way before it blew up, and I do. The author is John Green, and he had a friend who her name was Esther Earle, and she documented her, uh, you know, story when she was a teenager. He met her at some convention. Uh, he calls like all of his little followers nerdfighters. and he um, he says that it's not it's it's fiction. That Esther inspired, that his friend Esther, who passed away, was, you know, a teenager with cancer, she inspired him to write the book, but it's not based on anybody's life. And I read the book, and I didn't think that it was, I didn't think it was wrong. I thought that they were pretty dead on about how cancer survivors meet and how they interact and become friends and Mm -hmm. isolation and everything that's involved with being a teenager with cancer. I mean, the same thing applies as being a 32-year-old with cancer. um, I read read some op-eds that were saying how unrealistic the movie is. It's like it's not unrealistic that two kids would meet and become friends in a support group who had rare cancer. Well, the because thing if, is the
4: doctors that were criticizing it were like, the cancers are so rare it's impossible, but it doesn't matter. It's, but, it's, it's a moot argument to make right. from a clinical perspective. It's, it's not a clinical movie.
3: But it's not that rare. One of the kids, the, one of the characters has, like, sarcoma. That's right, not, which
4: is the most one of the most common cancers in young adults. I know. But the other one is like, ocular cancer or something. But there's that's, an,
3: like, there's one ocular. There's, and then there's he's, a like, a fringe yeah. character. Yeah. He's not, like, one of the main characters. Right, exactly. But, so, I don't know. I was, like... Who are is, these who is people criticizing this movie? Like, well,
4: why well I'm just, you know, the takeaway, and I did an interview today with, uh, I think it was with ABC or with, um, I don't know, it was, it was one of the big media companies. They're doing a piece about the cancer advocacy community's response to Fault in Our Stars. Mm-hmm. And my takeaway is what I've been saying as a keynote at OMG, our, our, our annual conference for years, which is this is the evolution of pop culture. Cancer is now something we can talk about. Mm-hmm. And you can even make fun of it, and it's okay to make fun of it, but it's also okay to exploit for the right reason. This is not um, some dying pets commercial mm-hmm. where woe is me. This is a real narrative that we can leverage as a brand and, and as a community and a movement to push our needs forward, and it's very exciting.
3: I agree. I haven't seen the movie yet because I ugly cried and I read the book because I'm a sap, <laughs> so I'm kind of scared. I <laughs> cried on the subway when I read the book. Yeah. Oh, that you're crazy for reading that in public. Oh, on well, the there's box. only one part. And then I didn't know when I would get to it. And then I did. I was, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty fast to read. If you haven't read it yet. Cause it's, a, it is a young adult book, but anyway, um, I, I'll, I might see it like a matinee by myself yeah. and just bring a box of tissues. Yeah. But
0: over the weekend, everybody's no, no one gets through it. There. I know. Yeah. I know. I
3: just, whatever. I'll take a Xanax and hang out. <laughs> well, on that note, let's uh, kick off our show here with a survivor spotlight.
4: Jill Brandenburg. Wrong queue, Here we go. Jill Brandenburg. Yeah, two weeks after starting her wedding planner business, not that this is a good time to ever get sick. Jill Brandenburg found out she had stage three breast cancer. She was 40 years old, a single mom, and had already lost her own mom to breast cancer. She continued trying to grow her business during treatment and is writing a memoir about those five years of struggle and fight. She's currently, uh, again, uh, this memoir is going to be all about her years. Towing the line between a wedding planner and a young adult with breast cancer. Please welcome Jill Brandenburg. Jill,
2: welcome. Hi. Hi there. Hi. Thanks for having me on.
4: No, we're very excited. I, I met you through your Kickstarter campaign, which I found of very compelling, and I'd love you to, you know, spend a little time with us tonight, telling us your, your, you know, we we uh, always make the point that cancer in young adults isn't any more or less special than anyone else with cancer, but it's very different. And here you are just trying to get your life in order, trying to start this great business, trying to live, and boom, through those initial diagnoses, any symptoms you had, losing your mother, and and this is really intensive.
2: Well, let me tell you, my mom, actually, she went to the doctor in 1977, and he scared her so badly that she just never went back. And she lived for 20 years in denial. And to the day she died, she really never accepted the fact that she had breast cancer. And by the time she finally uh, relented and went to the hospital, she had been sleeping upright in a chair for four months because a tumor had set on her spine. So by the time she actually went to the hospital, um, the, the tumor that was on her spine caused her spine to snap, and she spent the last two years of her life paralyzed. So she said, "Please go to the doctor." And that was really the closest that she ever came to kind of admitting that, that that might possibly be what's wrong with her. So at that time, I went to the doctor. everything came back fine. Years later, like you said, I was four years old, and I had decided to start a wing planner business. Very rapidly. I was sleeping on my left side and started to kind of have, you know, a, a pain. And, of course, they always say, you know, if cancer doesn't hurt. <laughs> they lie um, because, it, you know, it, it was an uncomfortable pain. And so they were like, well, if it hurts, it pro- it's probably nothing. And I'm like, great. So I had, uh, go, you know, gone ahead and started the wedding business. I had the bridal show and did that. and was meeting with brides and everything was great. I had scheduled the appointment before the, the bridal show, and it was two weeks afterwards that I go to the appointment. And I had a mammogram scheduled and a sonogram scheduled for about three hours difference. And I, at the time, I'm thinking, what am I going to do for three hours while I'm waiting for the test? So I go into the mammogram, and of course, I hear that, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. You're young. Don't worry about it. And then she comes down after the mammogram, and she says, you know what? You, you've already got that sonogram um, scheduled for 1.30. Why don't we just go ahead and do it now that you're here? And it was at that moment that I knew I was screwed. Because doctors, don't, they don't uh, reorganize people's you know, appointments for their convenience. So I, it was then that I knew I was in trouble. And so I went through all of the traditional stuff, went through um, – I had gone through um, the initial testing and the doctor called and kind of spit out a few minutes' worth of medical diagnostic jargon before hanging up, and I actually had to call him back and say, so I'm okay, right? And he's like, no, 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 Joe, you have cancer. And at that point, I scheduled the first appointments. I went through all the traditional stuff. I had surgery done, and I went through the chemo, went through the radiation, but I still had a wedding business. I had literally just started, and I had already booked brides for their weddings, so I just – I sort of separated my life, and I had wedding planner me, and I was a single mom to my son at the time. He was in seventh grade. I had wedding planner me and mom me and cancer patient me. And so that's kind of how I, I, I lived for quite a few years. But, no, it was, it was my poor brides, which, again, is sort of the basis of my book. Uh, when I started the book, I used to tell everybody all oh, the crazy stuff that would happen at the weddings that I would plan. And I said, oh, you should write a book. I said, you know what, you're right. And so I started writing, and then I sort of came to the uncomfortable realization that the role that I planned and the role I played in some of these weddings and how me being sick and in denial of me being sick, even though I was going through treatment, was causing some issues. Uh, I would meet with brides and, you know, that, that chemo uh, – menopausal sweat thing, I'd be sitting there, you know, and and talking to a bride and I would just have beads of sweat come across my face. And I'm sure they, you know, couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And I just pretended like I was fine and just my, called it uh, my post chemo ADD is what initially or evidently eventually.
3: Oh,
4: Jill, uh, my co-founder, my co-host here, Annie, had a question for you.
3: Well, I just want to oh, ask sure. you back to a little bit about your son. So he was in seventh grade. That is a tough age. He's about twelve years old. How did you tell yeah. him, and how did he take the news, and how did he deal with you going through treatment and chemotherapy? Um, you know, as a single mother, it's very it's tough to go through chemo. I mean, I'm, I'm in chemo, and I'm I only have me to take care of, and I think it's difficult. So, how did you tell your son, and how did he handle everything?
2: Well. Um, hmm. When I first found out that um, I was sick, I didn't tell him. And when I went through surgery, for the longest time, everybody found out on a need-to-know basis. I I had a a boyfriend that I was with, and he was only with me for about a year and a half before I had gotten sick. And he was not in a place. You know, I, I laugh and I tell people now that, you know, if you're in a relationship now, you won't be after treatment. But um, he was the only one that knew, and then it was a, a need-to-know thing. So I didn't tell uh, my son, Dylan, and had a family friend kind of, you know, take him, and they'd gone to, to an event and did something over the weekend. And the only thing that had ever really been wrong with me is uh, I had had a heart thing, a that, that little uh, periocarditis, if you all are familiar, you get a cold around your heart kind of deal. So I told myself, well, I've got this um, this doctor's appointment thing and so I said you go off and have a good time and you know, I'll see you when you get back well of course he didn't know that I was going in to have a mastectomy done so that when he came home on Sunday after I'd gone through surgery he looks at me and he is like how's your heart and I went oh, my heart's just fine for not telling him the truth and now he's 21 and he still's not real happy with me for as he perceives me lying to him but When it came to the point where I was going to have to go through chemo, because when they did surgery, they took out uh, 10 lymph nodes, eight of which were positive. So chemo was the next step. And I had started chemo about a week before he was going to be getting out of seventh grade. So I didn't want to tell him when he was going through finals. And then um, I was – I mean, I felt awful. And, you know, the first round of chemo that you go through, you think you're going to feel that horrible the whole time, and you don't realize the roller coaster that it is, and, you know, you don't realize you're going to feel good just in time to feel crappy again. So I just, he just thought that I was just sick. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't want to tell him on the last day of school, and I didn't want to tell him on the first day of summer, so I told him on the second. And... Yeah, like like any other kid, he, he did not take it well. And basically, I looked at him and I started crying. So, he, you know, the child of a single parent, you kind of already have that thing where you know something bad's coming. And I said, okay, here's the deal. Um, I got a little cancer. I, I got to do chemo, but that's just to make sure it doesn't come back. Ellen, oh, don't worry about a thing. I'll be fine. And you know, then of course we cried for about an hour and a half, and then we were good. Yeah, it was. It was tough. I did. How's it, yeah,
3: and how's your how's health doing my, now?
2: I'm, you know, rising. as I'm, I'm good. My last chemo was on um, September 11th of 2006. I told him I was like, "Well, this day sucked already, so I might as well do it then." And, um, and i you know, of course, go and get checked and stuff. But I am healthy and fine and very grateful. As is he.
3: <laughs> awesome.
4: Good news. So tell us yeah. about the memoir. Obviously, this is a very nuanced and complicated uh, situation. We're probably not terribly unfamiliar to young adults uh, who are facing cancer, who, who have faced cancer. Most of us have jobs or are endeavoring to build and uh, enhance our careers when cancer comes along. No small feat to manage this on your end, so kudos for that. But clearly, this is a very unique memoir. I can't say that across eight years of broadcasting, I've met somebody who was a wedding planner <laughs> and got cancer. Very unique.
2: Yes, it it was a very unique circumstance, to put it mildly. Like I said, the memoir really kind of just chronicles how these brides actually managed to have a good wedding, despite me. It was was challenging for me because the procrastination, I I was told when I was going through chemo and going through treatment that I had the worst case of chemo brain they had ever seen ever. I would show up hours late for an appointment. I'd show up on the wrong day. I literally walked around in a, I, I call it in the book, a chemo-induced, Vicodin-driven fog for like five months. And during this time, I I'm Tuesday. meeting. Do what? I'm sorry?
3: I said I call that Tuesday.
2: It is. It's, it's amazing how... I'm thinking I'm of a right mind. And, you know, and you are functioning. You you, you sound fine. And so I'm hoping that's the way I perceived. But I would meet with brides and I could just turn off the cancer patient. I, I don't know if others can do that. But, yeah, you just sort of, it's a denial thing where you just, you know, this is a way of you escaping for a moment. And these weddings and these brides were a way of me to escape. The only problem was is that when I had to, like, go back and actually get the work done or schedule appointments and things like that, the procrastination was just, it was just mind-blowing. And I was thriving on the fact that I was so happy with myself when I would pull it all together at the last minute. They really didn't kind of, you know, they, they didn't feel the same way. But hopefully after they read the book, and that was kind of, you know, in the beginning, all of these stories really weren't about me at all. And when I realized, oh, these people's flowers didn't come here because I forgot them, and I forgot them because my brain's not screwed in straight right now. So it was, it, it's on the, I'm about on my fourth rewrite because I, I kept kind of having to change how I wanted the book to be perceived, how I wanted the story to be. And there are, there are moments in the story where you're going to have tears running down your face. There are moments that are going to make you laugh out loud, and then there's moments that you're going to want to throw the book across the room because of how stupid I was and the choices that I made. So I I think it will be enjoyable, definitely. Like you said, when I first thought about writing this, I didn't see anybody else that, that really had a business like this that they were trying, that people were depending on them so much, and something that you really have to be detailed and focused in, which I just wasn't. But it it turned out well. But in the
3: yeah, why don't you tell us a little about the crowdfunding for the project?
2: Okay, so I didn't know anything about Kickstarter until I happened upon somebody that had shared with me somebody they knew that was doing a project. So I researched about it, and what I really wanted to do is, like I said, because of I still have huge ADD when it comes to trying to sit down and write. And it's really a challenging thing just to get the story. If I could just shake my head and put the words on the page, it would be awesome. But it's really challenging for me to write. And so what I wanted to do was be able to kind of take some time off of work because I'm a graphic designer and an artist. That's what pays the bills. So I wanted to be able to take a few months off of work and really just buckle down, get the book finished, get it edited, and find a publisher. So that's where the crowdfunding came in and did a little video, kind of told the story, told that was the reason that I wanted the, the funds, so that I could take the time off and get that. Well, the Kickstarter uh, project wasn't successful, but through that, of course, I found y'all, and then there was a, there's another company that does um, uh, fundraising. And so they approached me and said, hey, we'd really like to kind of back you and, and see what, what you can get done with this. And that's the fundraiser campaign that I have going that's on there now, which I guess I could probably tweet about if anybody wants to, to go on and take a look at it.
3: Very cool. And, and uh, to close out your segment, let's talk about your message to other single mothers who are fighting cancer. What would you tell? What would be your one piece of advice you would give them?
2: The one piece of advice, I would have to say you've got to know that on the other side, of your treatment, life goes on and you will get back to normal and your kids will look at you and it will, it will instill some hope in them because when they hear that diagnosis, especially my son hearing it and knowing that my mom had passed away from cancer, he immediately went to I'm going to be an orphan thing. So I think the important thing for single moms is to just to let them know, especially with all the advances that are every single day that keep us alive and keep us here, is that you've got to put that security into your child and let them know that you going to be okay. I wouldn't venture to say whether you are or you're not.
4: <laughs> and and that is entirely solid advice. We are, we are regrettably out of time. Mm-hmm. I can't speak tonight. I was hoping you had a website that you could direct our listeners to to learn more about your business.
2: Oh, um, absolutely. Well, there's a couple of things. Real quick, I have a, a Facebook page that is uh, – it's I Do Weddings, but it's the author page. So that way, that's one way to find me. And then I also have a fundraiser.com uh, campaign. And what I can do is any of your listeners, because it's a really long, you know, letters and numbers thing, I'll go ahead and tweet about it, and they can go to the link and follow me there.
4: Yes, and your Twitter handle is jbrandee, J-B-R-A-N-D-E-E. Yes, it is. All right, Jill Brandenburg, thank you so much for sharing your story. Good luck to you, your son, your business, and uh, God bless.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you.
4: All right, Jill. All right, Kenny, let's uh, hit up the news here. Hello,
1: I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, everybody, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening near you, week, and we certainly don't want you missing out. We have a bunch of meetups happening. St. Paul, Anchorage, New York, Jacksonville, Novi, Raleigh, Denver. Chicago with the one and only Matthew Zachary, as well as Houston.
4: That's impressive.
1: Uh, Maureen gets all the credit. Yes. She's the one who creates them all. Cancer is lonely,
4: period. And we've got the cure. It's called Instapeer, our forthcoming free mobile app that will bring instant, anonymous peer support to anyone affected by cancer. Visit Instapeer. Dot org to watch our video, to learn more about the project, and to consider
1: making a donation so you can be a part of history. Instapier.org. All right, Matt, I don't know if you saw it, but I saw these pictures on Chasing Life of the cast wearing some cool, stupid cancer gear. It's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org. Stay nice and cool with our all new products and styles. Got a brand new skateboard, as well as Flip, the cancer bird, our latest plushie mascot. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that, that is, is yours, Stupid Cancer News. All right,
4: showtime, folks. Executive producers of ABC Family's new, hopefully hit series, Chasing Life, Susanna Fogel and Johnny Lesquith have developed several scripts for film and television, including two comedy pilots for HBO. Uh, the executive produced alongside Sarah Jess Parker, very impressive. My wife would love to hear that, which I think she does because she listens to the show. And an original comedy feature for New Line Cinema entitled What Was I Thinking? They also co-wrote and co-starred in the original web series Joni and Susanna for the WB. And uh, they're active in the independent film community as alumni of the Sundance Screenwriters Lab. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Susanna Fogel and Joni Lefkowitz from Canada, ladies. <laughs> Hi, hi. Awesome. I should quantify that you're not from Canada. You're just in Canada.
0: What we're saying, sorry, in a boat while we're here.
4: <laughs> Lovely. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really, really excited to have you on the show. This has been building for I think eight months now since we first first heard from you guys and your team about the show. Um, and uh, we have a myriad of questions. that I'm not sure even where to start because it's very exciting. Our community is going over this show, Um, and I I guess we can start with how did this all come about? You're clearly a great writing team. You've done some great work together, but to conceive of an idea of a young adult with cancer in the modern age, it, it seems to be out of the ordinary. So where did that start?
0: Yeah, I would love to take credit for that, um, but we actually were brought <laughs> the idea by ABC Family. Um, it was based on a Mexican format that, it, you know, they wanted to adapt into for American television. So it was sort of, um, we're, we, like you said, we have a comedy background, and we met with them just generally about projects. And they sort of said it as we were walking out the door that they were developing this show, and we just found it a really intriguing concept for a show and felt like it was important, and it also could be infused with some humor so that it wouldn't be the most depressing show you've ever watched. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it happened.
4: And I guess I know you had met along the way. I, w- I was uh, speaking with, uh, with Dahlia and the fascinating team you guys are working with at uh, Disney and ABC, that along the way you happened to learn about that young adults with cancer is kind of a thing now in the healthcare conversation in this country, and you stumbled upon our good friends who like the who is a uh, hot yeah. performance survivor? Who was a what did she win a, a Grammy, Emmy, Tony, Cleo? She had
3: leukemia. Uh, Suleika had leukemia.
4: Oh, leukemia. So, but yeah. she, what did she
3: win yeah, for she the gone gone? An, she an
4: Emmy, awarder in the New an York Times yeah. blogger. Correct. Yeah,
5: um, yeah. We we met Suleika, who coincidentally actually knows uh, someone who we work we work with um, on our staff, and it was it was so interesting just talking to her about some of the the issues that are really specific to being her age and dealing with her diagnosis, certain things that, you know, being on uh, the floor of the hospital she was on, she didn't really interact with a lot of people her age, so she really felt like she needed to find a community of people who were dealing with, you know, experiencing being just out of college and seeing your friends move to exotic locations and get their dream jobs while she sort of had to put her own dreams on hold. and, And that's something that's really specific to being a certain age and feeling like you haven't really even scratched the surface of your adult life yet, and you have to sort of rethink everything. So she mentioned how important her her sort of fellow cancer patients were that were her age and could kind of connect to those issues, and also just sort of taboo issues that older patients didn't talk about as much, like how to deal with issues of relationships and sexuality while going through uh, cancer. So all of that was really Obviously, inspired a lot of storytelling and was really inspiring to us. Just generally seeing all she's been through and how she's come out the other side and managed to become a success in her own right.
3: So one, I watched, I watched it online last night, and I thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought you guys did a very good job of portraying how a young adult kind of absorbs being told they have cancer because we all think we're bulletproof at that age. But one of the things I also noticed, and I don't want to give too much away to our listeners who haven't seen it yet is that it was, the way you guys told the story in the pilot, it was much more about April than it was about cancer. And so I just want to know if you did that on purpose to kind of make it so that she's a real person rather than just, you know, a disease.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, um, you know, the show will become more cancer-focused in the future when it has to be, but we really do want it to be at its core of a show about a young woman finding herself and figuring out what she wants to do with her life and just having to deal with this on top of that. But we've intentionally fleshed out the other characters, the other, um, her sister's story, her mother's story or grandma's. We like, we want there to be enough other, um, story engines in the show so that it doesn't feel like a quote cancer show.
4: Exactly. And so, so I'm, I'm a, like a total closet anthropologist when it comes to understanding cancer. I had it in the nineties. I, was uh, given uh, only a few months to live with brain cancer when I was a college senior. So I'm just turned 40, and it's been a remarkable journey, not just obviously surviving and building my career, but in seeing how cancer itself has become this discussable thing now from the Deborah Winger dying terms of endearment, the McLean fiasco from 25 years ago or so. Were you able to tap into that, or have an understanding of that, or did like movies or precedents like you know Fifty Fifty, the cancer comedy, really open the door for it to be poked fun at a little bit from the general public perspective? Did did any of that come into play when you were uh, considering the tone of this?
0: I think it's just our instinct to infuse everything that we do with comedy, and I think you know obviously like we haven't gone through this experience personally, but when we put ourselves in those shoes, we can't help but think that we're the same people We're, we we like sense of humor is so important to us, that I don't think that would go away if we got sick. And um, strangely that like a few months after that we shot our pilot, um, one of our close friends got diagnosed with the exact same kind of chemia as our main character. And it it confirmed our approach because, you know, she didn't, her personality didn't change. She was dealing with something really terrifying, but she was the same hilarious girl that I've been friends with. So, I think that was just our instinct. It was just a guess. It wasn't really informed by any other um, approaches to cancer that we'd seen, but um, it, was just, it was just our instinct to how we would deal with it and making it watchable and making it, you know, TV-friendly and not too serious. Like any drama that we've loved, like Six Feet Under, Party of Five, any of those um, great shows, they've, they've had sort of a blend between drama and comedy. So that just kind of felt like the right approach to take
3: my question is how the show go off the ground so did you guys write this together and then take it to an agent and shop it around before abc family picked it up or did abc family were they kind of looking for something like this how did it all start
5: they um abc family had uh had already acquired the material by the time we we came on um so through their um Alliance with Lionsgate, um, who had a partnership with Televisa, the company that produced the Mexican series, um, they, they, they were already invested in, and, and wanted to say yes to the show. I think they were just looking for, you know, the right creative team to, to give it the tone that they felt would reach their viewers and sort of get it off the ground. So it did have a certain amount of momentum by the time we got involved, which I think was really helpful to us because a lot of the time just sort of trying to get projects going from scratch or from an original idea you have to sort of sell the notion that this is a show worth watching and this is a story worth telling, uh, which can sometimes lead to like a lot of salesmanship that can get in the way of the authenticity of the story you want to tell. So, in this case, we felt like you know our our, our job was really just to try to be as true to the characters um, as we possibly could be and to the experiences of people that we base the characters on, um, and hopefully. You know, the network would combine that with their desire to to make the show. So it was a little bit easier of a process in that in that way. Um, but I think that liberated us to focus on the character development a bit more. We were we were lucky to not have to sort of do it all from scratch ourselves.
4: And, and that that is, like you said, it's real instinct because it is truly spot on. And and I know that. So like, it came on a little later, and then we came on a little later. But everything that we're witnessing is honest and authentic. And, and I know that you guys had worked with, um, I think you consulted with Hollywood health and society because they typically do more of the science and, and like the, you know, like, like the actual policemen like consult for law and order. So you actually have some level of oncologists involved. Is that true?
0: Yeah, we have, um, along with our young, young adults that have cancer, um, consultants, we have a medical consultant who runs a leukemia clinic and, um, we have doctors that read every script and make sure that we're not misinforming anyone. Right. But yeah. We've, we've actually found our, you know, the young young adults with cancer to be our most important consultants because, you know, it's it's not Grey's Anatomy. We don't want it to be a medical show. We want it to be about the character and the emotions and less about the science. Obviously, it has to be part of it, but that's not the part that we think is going to keep people watching every day or
4: every week. Right. So I guess I want to turn this now to uh, your perspective. Now that you've given birth to the show, it's starting tomorrow night on ABC Family at 8, 7 Central. Um, How has has your uh, reaction been to the reaction by the actual cancer community? I'm sure you've seen lots of survivors are writing um, almost like critiques, and there's been some positive and some constructive feedback from the medical community, I know you have to take it all in stride, of course, because it's too late. The show's on. You've got 12, 12 or 13 episodes, I believe, coming up. Um, but in terms of the uh, – what what did you expect? Did you have an expectation? And where can this help the show grow or gain more momentum?
5: I think um, – I mean, I think uh, – sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I think, I think there's always a fear when you're representing a community that you're not um, directly part of that you are going to misstep or – you know, offend somebody, and I think it's always surprising to see that usually a community that feels underrepresented is just so excited to have their stories told, even if they're not told in the exact way that they've experienced them. That I think we've just felt an enormous amount of support, even though we we have gotten the constructive feedback too. It feels like there's just we're kind of being embraced by a group of people that don't really feel like they have they have the adult cancer shows and now they have Salt in Our Stars and some other content that's geared toward them, but. That they just feel so relieved to be able to watch a young person with cancer who's not going through the melodramatic, you know, um, lifetime version, but is actually kind of an uplifting role model and who they would watch in a show not about cancer, except in this show she does happen to have it, but she's someone that they can aspire to be. So anyway, I, I feel like the reaction's been pretty positive, and I've been relieved to see that most people are just kind of excited to see themselves represented in that way at all.
4: Right. We've almost been defending the show to a certain extent. I was explaining to the, the PR and publicity teams about some of the comments because they've been like relentlessly trolling our Facebook page because we're getting hundreds and hundreds of comments. Some of the posts have been seen by up to 150,000 people about the show. And it like you said, you can never really please everybody. And there's this crazy line to toe between keeping it authentic and yet – Making sure that you get, make the ABC family audience happy, the executives happy, the the, the general public happy, and continuing to get that bind from the crowd. And I would just the one specific thing that I found most intriguing was everyone wants her to lose her hair, and she has to lose her yeah. hair within two minutes of the show starting. Otherwise, it's not a real. I know, like she show. hasn't
0: even started chemo yet, guys. Give her a break. <laughs> I know. We've yeah, really I've been- noticed a lot of people just saying like she. It- you know, a lot of our, our teaser trailer, like the one-minute thing they released online, that was what I noticed Where people were like, this doesn't look like the kind of cancer that I had. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is, you know, we, we draw this out pretty slowly. Um, so, you know, chemo doesn't happen right away. The hair loss won't happen right away. And, you know, she she keeps her cancer secret from her family. That's one of the plot points in the first few episodes. Um but, you know, we'll get there. But I think the initial reaction was just like, pretty actress pretending to have cancer. This isn't my story. And it's not going to be everybody's story. But I, like Susanna said, I think it's it's better to tell the story a little bit wrong to some people but bring light to the subject, I think, rather than not tell it at all.
5: And also, you know, what, what what's really interesting is just like that, like Joni was saying, the, the decision not to have her tell everyone right away, um, you know, because the first few episodes take place over a really – there, the time is very slowed down. Like every episode is a day or two max. So you're watching the sort of um, dramas and decision to tell or not tell and when to start chemo and when to put her life on hold and and when people can handle the truth. Like all of those, those decisions are sort of really belabored by her as they would be by anyone. Um, but I think, you know, because the episodes are going to air once a week, there will be a perception that she's pretty for too long. Um, and I think that, like, ultimately – it's what I like about sort of the way that you know Italia's played that transition is that you get a chance to sort of experience her as you know someone who's trying to negotiate her life and the cancer not just in the hospital dealing with mortality talking about mortality every minute she's kind of got a full life to balance with that so I think it's been it's been interesting to hear that discussion opened up and also the decision to tell or not tell people um it's it's polarizing, but we've heard from so many people who have had cancer and did keep it a secret, and that really resonates with them. And then other people are really angry because they didn't have that experience themselves. But it does seem to be a pretty personal choice. And, and you know, people have made really different choices in their own lives. It's such a personal thing being sick. So, you know, just the, oh, to, to open amazing. up that discussion seems fruitful regardless.
3: And then there's no, I I truly believe there's no right or wrong way to deal with cancer. You can choose to not undergo any treatment. That's some, some people do make that decision because they don't, they just don't want to. And um, that was one of the things I liked about it was how you guys wrote how she dealt with it at first. And it it seemed to me a little, and Matthew and I were talking about before the show, it seemed a little bit denial ish because because she doesn't tell anybody for so long and is just kind of like trying to power through and get through her job and she doesn't want, you know, she's finally getting things going at work and she doesn't want to tell anyone. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about also how you casted the show and why you cast her. And one of the things I wanted to add, if people are saying that she's too pretty, cancer doesn't care what you look <laughs> like. So that's I know. people are, because <laughs> pe- plenty of pretty people get cancer.
5: Yeah
0: but um, anyway. yeah, the answer,
5: so, the I would, yeah i think it's more like i think it's more like people's perception of how hollywood de- would depict a cancer patient you know just that sort of like the hair loss like Joni was saying and like a certain type of makeup and there's there's a way that people are comfortable seeing a sick person or they're used to seeing a sick person on medical dramas and it's sort of not the exact path that i mean sh- she'll get there but she gets there in a circuitous way because she deals with her diagnosis in in a, in a way that is informed by her denial. And, you know, we we know a few people who have been through this that we met, a writer who described the experience of being at basically the, the big moment she'd been waiting for as a writer, and then she was diagnosed with cancer and did keep it a secret until she reached the milestone she was about to reach just because she didn't want to ruin all that momentum she'd been building for so long in her career. So, you know, it, we're interested in, in that too, just the plans you make and how those are sort of um, competing with your need to, Save yourself, I guess.
4: Yeah, it's almost like you should have cast Chaz Bono or Rebel Wilson in the part, and then everyone would uh, get over the whole pretty thing.
3: <laughs> They're pretty in their own way. I didn't
4: mean it that way. They're not ugly people, but this whole idea of how you have to look like, uh, you know, Christy Brinkley or whomever. I'm an 80s mm-hmm. guy, so you know, whoever the pretty people are today.
1: She's still pretty. Emma,
4: Emma, Emma Watson, Emma Thompson. Yeah.
5: Right?
4: Not Emma Thompson, the other Emma. Stone? Emma Stone. There we go.
5: Yeah, Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think in terms of the casting process, you know, for us, what we really, we sort of, you know, obviously this is like a show about cancer and deals with mortality and what it means to live and and be dealing with, you know, having limited time. But but for us, we really like the idea of creating sort of a, a female character who's really sort of strong and, funny and smart and could be the heroine of a show like Felicity. It's just in this particular show, it's through the lens of this illness she has. So we looked for all those qualities above everything else, like someone who could really pull off that type of um, charisma and intelligence. And, you know, we found someone that we love for that. But that that was what was leading the conversation about casting.
0: It was also just somebody who's really verbal and I don't know, this character is sarcastic and funny and quick. And sometimes when you put those words into an actor's mouth that you can just tell they're not that person. But, um, the the second Italia walked in and she, um, she's just a, she's a smarty fan. So she was in law school before she decided to try acting. And, um, we could just tell that she, she got it and she was, she was a smart girl. We, We bought her as like an aspiring journalist, like she just made sense. And, um, we could tell that she really connected to the part, but, um, yeah, we it was it was a pretty it was a pretty perfect fit it seemed like and it was it was great for us that we had never heard of her because I feel like for shows like this it's hard to suspend to suspend your disbelief if you've seen this person in so many other roles and it was exciting to us to have a fresh face that you've never seen and you could really lose yourself in the character. She's
4: Ryan, doing I like an
0: incredible go. job and she's working so hard.
4: Right, and again I, I just go back to the, the irony of, of serendipity here. She also starred Justin Gordon Levitt, who starred in fifty fifty in twenty twelve. She mm-hmm. was in Don John with him and like as recently as last year. So I, I can't help but want to imagine what probably didn't happen, which is that they actually talked about young adult cancer. But I'm just imagining this because I want they to. They
5: did,
0: I guess they did. They did. I, I've actually read oh, she, cool. in one of her recent interviews. She was talking about how he gave her advice to about um I think it's really great you're doing this show. Just remember when you go home that you're not sick because I guess, as, you know, as an actor, it's like you really get swept up in this character and it's hard to shut it off at the end of the day. And I, I wonder about that, like how, how it is to just like go lead your life after you've been pretending to go through this serious stuff all day. But, um, yeah, I guess he was, I guess he was really supportive of it and was working with him.
4: And we obviously wanted to have her on the show. We'll hopefully get her back on another show. Um, Uh, Italia Ricci, that is. But what was your response? Can you, I guess, answer the question on her behalf to understanding young adult cancer? Because clearly and thankfully, she is not a a survivor, but having to walk into this whole thing, and I know you you very fortunately have a young adult cancer advisory board um, to the show, Uh, was was she receptive? Did she? uh, I don't know about the process as much as, as you possibly do. But how does one get into character like that?
0: And I know she. I know she decided to not do too much um, medical research because she wanted to be authentically finding out what's going on with her character as the character does. Um, but I do know that she talked to a lot of young adults with cancer to get some perspective on, you know, how to accurately portray someone who's going through this and hear some different um, ways that people have reacted and, um, you know. But I think it's. It's it's different for everybody, as we've been saying, so I think she's kind of, you know, just, I, I don't know, there's, there's only so much research you can do to portray someone who's going through their own authentic experience, but um, she's been taking her position as a you know potential role model for people that are going through this really seriously. I know she's been keeping in touch with people on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and a I'm you know, really admired that she's actually responding to every single thing. I look at Facebook and I'm like, she's liking every single thing people are saying, but she's taking it really seriously, which is pretty cool.
3: And how did you decide to, so this character, April, has a lot of, not, and again, I don't want to give away too much, she has a lot of trauma in her life. She has some issues with her, with her late father and then with her sister, which I'm assuming is a result of, you know, losing her father at a young age. How did you guys decide to make her life so chaotic?
5: I think um, for us, one thing that we we really responded to in the character, in the original series, was that she was kind of the rock of her family in a way. And just to sort of see um, the way in which people lean on her, and she sort of sometimes feels like the parent to her mom and sort of the ha- sort of the man of the house in some ways and I mean for us it was interesting to juxtapose that with um, sort of the victimhood of being sick and needing help uh, for a person who's who others turn to for help and I think we we like to sort of emphasize the way that she is so strong and tough and takes care of others and is the person that everyone else comes to and what happens when that person who's not really comfortable being vulnerable and leaning on people um, what happens when that person needs needs to depend on others and so for us, I think the more we could sort of show the the weaknesses around her and the way that she's sort of a linchpin of that, uh, the, to us it really raised the stakes for her. First of all, like telling people about her diagnosis and really feeling like she could have the support of her mother, who in any other situation she would have. But, you know, entering this family story right after they've been through a trauma of their own and there's chaos and they're dealing with all sorts of other drama unrelated felt like a fruitful time to sort just narratively to have her have to kind of um, negotiate like dropping this bomb on everyone and needing them. So I, I think we just like the idea of a person who isn't used to depending and being vulnerable, which is a character that we, we can connect to, um, being forced into a position where she has to figure that out and figure out who she can rely on and, and also giving those other characters an opportunity to to be strong for her and to step up and evolve themselves throughout the life of the series which has been an exciting way to develop those relationships too
1: hey this is kenny uh i'm just curious obviously we all want to see this go on uh for many seasons what is the most exciting thing that you um anticipate and hope for and and as it progresses what are you like i said most excited for
0: Um, what are we most excited for like um to get to get out of the show being on the air?
1: yeah I, I guess you know you, you think of these shows that go on for s- several seasons um we clearly want that to happen mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that was yeah, that would be amazing, but I mean, this is a unique show because it's not just like us deciding to write something about you know in-, in co- like our comedy background, we would write these like you know funny half hours and while they were fun and entertaining, I, I think this one has the potential to really touch people and speak to them in a, you know, like in a, in a community that's really underrepresented. Um, so that's a that's a special thing that I hope to get out of it. I, I hope it goes on for a long time, but even if it lived for one season, I think it's it's a unique platform to actually touch people's lives and help them feel a little less alone.
4: Well, again, I mean, we are really excited for the show uh, for many, many reasons, one of which, of course, is it advances our mission as a national young adult cancer advocacy research organization. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the young adult cancer population is very underserved in terms of it not having appropriate resources to help it move forward. It's a time in your life when you are supposed to be moving forward, and you just don't and that five-year survival rates for young adults have not actually improved at the same rates as pediatrics and adults. So there's not just the clear lifestyle disparities faced by people like April, uh, but there's also uh, a, a scientific and a clinical component. So we're leveraging the show to advance this conversation, this awareness of the disparities for young adults. But at the same time, it's really exciting to just see another great example of how you are taking something and making it discussable. And uh, you've done a really great job of doing that. I guess that wasn't really a question, but I do have a question. Um, in this, uh, no, but what I, think, has,
0: I, I agree. Like, it, Just, no. Just just to piggyback on that, I was just, um, you know, some issues we just didn't – it didn't occur to us until we talked to people like Suleika about um, issues that would be unique to the young cancer patients that even doctors don't seem to be fully – um, prepared to talk about with them because they're used to dealing with patients that are much older. And, like, fertility was the biggest biggest example that we got from Suleika. Like, she, you know, the, her doctor didn't tell her that her fertility might be affected by chemotherapy, and she had to figure that out herself and make a decision to um, address that first before she started chemo, which, you know, it was just an interesting – there, there are interesting, unique issues to the young cancer community that we weren't really aware of, and we're excited that we can – show those and we have the stupid cancer poster in the support group which you probably haven't seen yet because it's not introduced for a couple episodes
4: <laughs> well actually i, I will a spoiler alert then <laughs> everyone listening
1: um it
4: was you guys or someone on your team reached out to us last summer um and i, I think uh, by the way i was so like as for, we like to joke i was her first cancer date um i was invited to meet her while she was in isolation at sloan kettering um, and I had to don the whole you know, hazmat suit to go in there and talk to her. And we've been really good friends. We've been very close friends since I think that was the summer of 2012 or 2011 when that first happened. So I'm really, really, really glad that she was able to make you guys aware of, um, of, of organizations like ours. But for all of our listeners and our fans out there, you guys did reach out to us last summer and requested some swag. And there is actual mm-hmm. art... Art imitates life, imitates art, imitates life, looking into a mirror of a mirror, our actual branded signage is in the actual show, which has got our crowd a standing ovation when we debuted a little 30-second clip at our our global patient conference in April. So just to give you an idea of how excited we are, not just for the show, but the fact that we're in the show is so (laughs) incredible.
0: We're really excited about it too. That was a, we 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 love bringing we just loved br- the fact that we were in a position to bring more publicity to this organization because it's awesome and I know my friend w- who was dealing with this was really grateful for it and so yeah.
3: One of my questions: You guys are doing a huge online push for people to catch the show before it goes on air. Uh, Why did you guys decide to do the huge, you know the big see it online before everyone else sees it was that something you guys did on purpose to just get more buzz and or you know what was the reasoning behind that
0: Um, that was abc family's decision i think it's just kind of a new way that they try to generate buzz about their shows and we had our first instinct was kind of like oh if everyone sees it early are they going to want to watch it when it's actually on tv but apparently there's social media experts think that you know People can, if people can watch it early, they can get invested early, they can start talking about it, they can start, you know, recommending it. You know, they, they claim that people won't be turned off, that they've already seen it, they'll watch it again. They'll feel like they were, like, the first audience members. So we're hoping that they're they're right. But we just enjoy that they've been promoting it so much. So much,
5: yeah. You know, an audience of people that are going to be downloading from the show and, and, you know, who don't necessarily watch watch things live, um, but that that, they're hoping to reach that audience, too, of younger teens and stuff. So I think that this, like Tony was saying, it gave, gave a certain community of people a sneak peek at the show, and they could feel like they were kind of on the cutting edge of, of what was going to be happening.
4: Right. Well, we only have a few minutes left. I know we wanted to keep you guys, because you are in Canadian time here, in that, that uh, mm-hmm. there really are three audiences for this show. There's the general ABC family audience. There are the people of the ABC family audience who may be young adult cancer survivors or had cancer as kids and are now young adults who can find some sense of community and identity through this show that they didn't know they could have. And there's also the existing young adult cancer community like ours in Stanford Cancer and the American Cancer Society who are so excited that this show exists to give us an even bigger voice and make that much more noise for what we're trying to accomplish. So I, I kudos again really again, if you, if you didn't know what you were doing, but you kind of knew what you were doing, and then you discovered that what you were doing is the right thing to do, that was really <laughs> convoluted. You did the right thing. And <laughs> we are really, really um, thrilled to be a part of the, the uh, publicity, the awareness, and the participation.
0: Well, we're we're Thank for- you. That means a lot. And this is, right. like, this is the audience that we're the most afraid of in the most respectful way because we feel the responsibility to represent them as accurately as possible, so but- a lot.
5: Yeah, and just, yeah. you know, we're, like Joni was saying, like, we're we're really invested in being authentic to people's stories, and we've gotten some of our best story ideas as well as the most poignant, like, moments of conversation from people like Suleika who have gone through it and can tell us anecdotes from their lives. So as much as we may be fearing the feedback, we're also excited to hear, you know, different accounts and anecdotes from our viewers about what happened to them, and, you know, we really do try to represent that in the show as much as we possibly can. So we're we're excited about that community's response, too.
4: Well, if if the show gets – not if, I'll be positive. When the show gets picked up for a second season, because we will do everything we can to make sure that happens, let's get April on the Stupid Cancer Show.
0: That would be amazing. Totally. I know she would be happy to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well,
4: I, again, I mean, this is so exciting for – We're, like, totally nerding out on the idea that, I mean, we mentioned Fault on Our Stars, which just coincidentally is is opening this weekend, is another amazing young adult voice in in the media, in in pop culture. And there's so much amazing stuff happening now for our movement and for the millions of people affected by young adult cancer. So, again, I I could gush forever. We're huge fans. Um, But thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Susanna Fogel and Jonah Lefkowitz executive producers of ABC Family's new hopefully hit series, Chasing Life, mm-hmm. airing tomorrow, uh, season series premiere, uh, Tuesday 8, 7 Central on ABC Family.
0: Thank you so much for having us.
4: Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Hopefully we'll meet you guys soon. Take care and good luck.
0: Right, you care. too. Thank you.
4: All right. Bye now.
3: And for our East Coast people... 9 p.m. Eastern. Is it 9 p.m.? You thought said of... Central, so you were right. Yeah, yeah. But it's 8 p... It's 9 p.m. Eastern and 10 p.m. Pacific.
4: Wait, how would it be 10 p.m.
3: Pacific?
4: Oh, wait. No, it's, it's nine, 9, 8 Central or 8, nine, eight 7 Central. No. We're going to clarify.
3: This is what happens when you have two hosts who've had brain tumors. <laughs> get confused. Oh, dear. Hold on.
4: We're going to find it. I think it's 9, eight nine Central.
3: Okay, 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Pacific. Okay. That's, that's where I got it wrong.
4: Okay, perfect. There we go. All clarified. Eight. Okay, wonderful. A good show. It was good. Very exciting.
3: And I, You know I just looked up? I just looked up that on um, Rotten Tomatoes, about the fault in our stars. Right. Number one movie.
4: Yep.
3: $48 million. I know. And an 82%... That's good. That's that's good, high. yeah. On the, on the tomato meter. meter, really high for... for that was telling me to tomato. rent it
4: on. What, what's the breakdown between the critics and the viewers?
3: Uh, I have to click on that. Yeah. Um, but it's
4: still very impressive.
3: Uh, audience, 93%. And... I don't know. It's not telling me for the professional. I think it's 82 Oh, they suck. But that's still... <laughs> that's
4: still very impressive.
3: The tomato meters is 82%, but it looks like most of the critics really liked it. Yeah. The the
1: only,
4: audience
3: loves stuff, it. the only
1: negative stuff is painfully predictive, uh, predictable.
3: Uh, well, then, then but they, then that's they, not they a, didn't read the book. That's then. not a critique. I know. That's, they had a, Yeah, if you said that, then you didn't read the book because – It's like watching Titanic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> painfully predictable <laughs> Titanic, that movie. That happened?
4: Yeah. Or like uh, uh, Schindler's List. Who knew? (laughs) Crazy. Anyway, a good show, a great show, ABC Family Chasing Life, tomorrow night, Tuesday, June 10th, what we say? 9 p.m. Eastern. (laughs) Okay. Wonderful. Listening, it is now time for our closing sequence.
1: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, (laughs) internets. You ever seen a grown man naked?
2: And so... To all of you,
1: a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, my goose, you got it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, our 310th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our guest, Jill
4: Brandenburg. And executive producers of ABC Family's Chasing Life, Susanna Fogel and Joni Lefkowitz
3: next week's show, Radical Remission. On the Stupid Cancer Show next Monday with Dr. Kelly Turner, PhD, New York Times best-selling author of Radical Remission, Surviving Cancer Against All Odds. A compelling book which summarizes her research in the field of spontaneous remission and integrative oncology. Survivor Spotlight on Brittany Ross.
4: Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out any Time on the web at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the Chemo Deck on behalf of Annie Goodman, Kenny Keane, Marine Sweet, Mallory Rivera, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week live at 8 p.m. Good night, folks
1: tours, so...